Good morning, church. The Bible reading today is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12 to chapter 2, verse 17. This can be found in your Peel Bible on page 1644. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 12. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so, relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. But we do not write to you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes, and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no. But in him, it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I call God my witness, and I stake my life on it, that it was in order to spare you that I did not return to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it is by faith you stand firm. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you. For if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would all share my joy. For I write you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears. Not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought that he will not overwhelmed he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you therefore to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes." Now, when I went to Taurus to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened the door for me, I still had no peace of mind. 
because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye to them and went on to Macedonia. But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life, and who is equal to such a task. Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. Uh, terrific. My name's Nick. I'm one of the pastors here, particularly um, with students in the evenings, and uh, it's been my delight to open up 2 Corinthians for us uh, this week and uh, over the next few weeks. So uh, we're going to continue uh, this morning with this letter that Paul is writing uh, through some, some tough circumstances to a church that's also uh, doing it tough. So how do I lead us in prayer? Uh, and then we'll get stuck into the passage. Let's pray. Our Father God, uh, we want to thank you so much that you speak to us. Thank you that you're not silent. And Father, thank you that you've made so many promises and that you've revealed how they come together to us in Jesus. And we look forward to the time when we will see him face to face. But Father, now as we hear you speak, please help us to listen uh, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Excellent. Well, um, when I was uh, at uni, uh, I went on a, a conference for people who were considering doing some kind of vocational ministry, like being a pastor. And um, my impression of being a pastor at that time, despite knowing several who were not like this, was that it was essentially like being um, Billy Graham. You know, you're kind of this um, super famous person who goes around and speaks to millions of people and they all um, hear God's word and trust in Jesus. Um, so it's a great thing. And on the first day of this, uh, this conference, uh, we heard from a missionary couple who'd been in Slovenia for 17 years um, and they were very lonely and very sad. And then the French missionary couple shared. They'd been in uh, France for 17 years, and um, they, they shared about just how slow the work had been, how hardly anyone had become a Christian in that time, uh, and just how difficult they'd found that. And then we had a talk on some of the tensions that, um, uh, that kind of being in vocational ministry can create within families, and then we debriefed all of that over lunch. And then in the afternoon, we had uh, the option of three very exciting sessions. The first one was failure in ministry, the second one was disappointment in ministry, uh, and the third one was having hard conversations with family. So lots of good options there. <laughs> And um, by the end of the day, uh, my illusions about um, ministry, I should have really known this from um, my own experience as a, as a youth group leader and in kids' ministry, um, my illusions about being a pastor um, were cer certainly shattered. Now, um, as, as Christians, uh, all of us get to be involved in serving in lots of different ways. Ministry just refers to um, all the different kinds of service that we do uh, in the life of our, our church together and, and actually in the community. Uh, ministry is service. And Actually, it can be really wonderful, can't it? Uh, one of the, I think, highlights of ministry life for me has been, um, as a youth group leader, getting to, to have some conversations with year sevens who, um, you know, for the very first time are hearing that God saves by grace. Um, you know, what, what an exciting conversation to be a part of. Um, ministry is wonderful, isn't it? Like the times when, uh, if, you know, if we're involved in cooking and we cook for a whole lot of people so that they can all um, get through Bible study on a full stomach. Um, 
all the kind of welcoming and stuff that goes on so that people feel at home here and like this is their family. Uh, caring for the vulnerable at times when they really need it. Laboring in prayer and seeing prayers answered and, and singing with real joy and enthusiasm to Jesus because we know he loves us. So yeah, there's, it's wonderful, isn't it? There's times of real joy um, and times when ministry is great. But there's also times when it's hard. Uh, times when it, we can feel disappointed with ourselves, um, times where we can feel disappointed with others and even those who lead us. And I think um, we actually only need to look as far as our link missionaries to see that um, even if you're a really godly person, that you can still go through real disappointment in ministry. Uh, so I think Dave and Tab, you know, uh, their struggle to get back to Asia during COVID, uh, Maggie and her centre for Vulnerable Girls shut down due to funding issues. Um, the Purdies have spent the last year just trying to be in the, the right country, uh, the country that they're supposed to be serving in, and the Rows have been in Australia with health complications. Um, lots of disappointment, and I imagine they're feeling that much more strongly than we are. And for us, there's everything from the times when um, perhaps as a, as a Christian parent, you feel like you're bring, banging your head on a brick wall, um, to the times of trying to engage year eight boys um, with Bible study, and all they want to do is play cricket outside. Um, there's delayed sight redevelopments, there's the conversations with people that we'd really love to see know Jesus. Um, perhaps that, uh, that family member that we prayed for for such a long time, and it just feels like it's getting nowhere. Ministry can be disappointing. Um, and in our passage today, we see Paul wrestling with this. Um, he himself has gone through some disappointments and failure, and uh, we see him wrestling with some really big truths about who God is, and it's a bit tricky because he's uh, the one who's uh, failed and he's trying to explain what's happened to the Corinthians um, and, and kind of in that context of relationship. So uh, I think it's a great passage as we think through those things as well. So at point two, um, motives matter in ministry. Uh, if you've got the handout there as well, um, that's just going to be a, a really useful thing for you to follow along. We use that every week, um, so grab that out and have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians 1 and 2 as well. Now, um, as Paul wrote... Uh, this is not the first time he's meeting the Corinthians, he's met them before, he's been their pastor, he's planted their church, and so um, they would have known that some things were wrong, um, they probably were quite frustrated and grumpy with Paul, in fact, um, about the fact that he hadn't come to visit them like he said he would, and the hurt he'd caused them with his letter. And so um, I wonder what they're expecting as Paul writes, and I wonder if they were expecting what he says in verse 12. In verse 12, he, he begins the section, now this is our boast... Uh, our conscience testifies that we've conducted ourselves in the world, and especially in our relations with you, with integrity and godly sincerity. Uh, we've done so relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. Now, I guess what's striking about that is that Paul is actually very positive about his ministry. I, I imagine if um, you're dealing with someone who you think has failed, and they, they start by talking about what they're boasting about. That's a bit strange, isn't it? Um, so why is he, why is he positive uh, is he kind of being defensive? Is he covering over what's going on? That's some of the questions we might have. Um, I think Paul's claim here is, got, is at the heart about motives. Um, he's saying that whatever has happened, uh, it's come from a heart that uh, relies on God's grace and is just overflowing with a sincere, genuine, transparent love for the Corinthians. Uh, he would even say that his really hard letter was a kind of a hard love for them, that his motives are good. So we might ask, well, is he saying then, uh, you know, I've, I've stuffed up, but I didn't really mean it, like I kind of meant to love you. Uh, is that what Paul's saying? 
I think um, we need to try and understand what's going on here. So I want to flip over to the end of the section. So if you look at chapter 2, verse 16, at this point, going from the second half of the verse, uh, listen to how Paul finishes the section and kind of wraps it up. He says, Who is equal to such a task? The task there being ministry, um, ministering to others, the good news of Jesus. Um, Unlike so many, we don't peddle the word of God for profit. Uh, On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity as those sent from God. So, um, again, Paul sees his ministry in positive terms. And I think um, think what he's saying here, as he addresses this situation of um, disappointment, is he's trying to shift their understanding of what it means for him to do a good job as an apostle. He's, he's actually saying, you, there are some failures here, but we need to actually start by understanding what failure is and what it isn't. Um, in ministry, what is real success? What is real failure? And for Paul, success in ministry um, is about whether he's sincerely and faithfully and lovingly and transparently proclaimed Christ in response to God's grace. It's quite simple, isn't it? Uh, this faithful, clear proclamation of Jesus responding to God's grace. Now, um, one of the challenges for us as we try and work out how do we actually, um, how do we be people who are like this as well, is that actually there's not that many areas in our lives where uh, this is how we think about success and failure in terms of motives and character and, um, and how we relate to God. Like, actually, most most success and failure in our society is about um, outcomes and roles. So you think uh, about uh, occasionally, you know, like a political leader might resign because uh, they've, they've been immoral, but for the most part, um, it doesn't really matter whether you're moral or immoral as long as you do your job. Uh, if an accountant um, has a moral failure, it doesn't really matter because their job is to crunch numbers. Uh, if, you know, your IT person is a bad person, who cares? Because their job is to fix your computer. Um, and we see this, I think, recently with the, uh, the, the head of Optus stepping down. Um, she resigned because of the, the big failure of service a couple of months ago. Um, it didn't really matter whether she loved the company and she loved her customers and, and kind of cared about them. Uh, what mattered at that point was her performance, whether she'd uh, actually delivered the service that she was responsible for delivering. And I think um, this is a very professional way of looking at things, and it's possible for us as we live in this very professional world to see ministry uh, as a professional kind of activity. Uh, and so instead of seeing each other as brothers and sisters and fellow servants of Christ, uh, we can see ourselves as kind of fellow service technicians. Uh, people are statistics, evangelism is marketing, uh, and pastor of the flock are kind of analysts and executives. And uh, I think... If we think this way, and I, I find myself thinking in these kind of categories sometimes, I'm very aware of how many people are around and how the kind of key metrics are going, um, we can kind of think that if we, if we improve the right numbers, then we're good at our job as Jesus people and we are valuable to the church and therefore to God. Now, I'm not saying that um, there's no place for strategy, there's no place for numbers. Those are actually useful tools for us to love real people, um, because numbers represent people who actually have needs that we're trying to care about. But what is faulty is if we think that by kind of getting the system right, uh, we, can, um, we can control ministry outcomes. And Paul says that this is faulty thinking, that it relies on a kind of worldly wisdom. We're not to be gospel peddlers 
he says. Uh, we be the people who are shaped by God's grace. And so for Paul, the key way that we're to see ministry failure and success uh, is in terms of our relationship to God and to the gospel and other people. Uh, it's, fundamentally, it's about things like sincerity and love and prayer that overflows from receiving God's grace in Jesus. So um, as you think about whether you're successful, as you try and serve other people, whether it's as a, as a welcomer or in your workplace as you chat to people, as you meet with someone one-to-one, um, if you're leading a Bible study, uh, I wonder what, what kind of measure do you use to measure success? As you think about um, church and are we doing a good job, what kind of measure do you bring? And um, Paul teaches us here, I think, that actually motives, motives are very important and character is very important in ministry. Um, Paul thinks that really the thing that people trying to serve others as Christians ought to be is people who, in Christ, speak before God with sincerity. Now, uh, by beginning like this, Paul's cleared a bit of space to speak about the next issue and help the Corinthians approach it um, from the same page as him. But as we go, we, we need to ask the question, what kind of view does Paul have of Christian ministry that makes it so different from other jobs? Um, why is it not the same as, say, accounting or um, um, being a plumber or whatever it is? Why is it a different kind of work? So at point three, God says yes to his people in Christ. Now, um, having defined success in verses 15 and 16, Paul then introduces the first big disappointment of the section, and he describes a plan that he had uh, to visit the Corinthians. Now, uh, it sounds a bit complicated. It's actually quite straightforward. Um, he says what he was going to do. Um, I want you to imagine him up the Mediterranean Sea, and you've kind of got Greece, I'm trying to do it, your direction. Greece is here and Turkey's here and down all the way to, to Israel. Um, Paul says that he wanted to go across the sea to Greece and then up to Macedonia and then back down to Corinth and then back across to Israel. Uh, and it seems that that's not what happened. Instead, uh, try and do this. <laughs> I don't know where I am now. Now, instead, he went up and down and somewhere across. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we get the sense he, he'd made these genuine plans in verse 16 and 17. And he'd even told the Corinthians that he was coming. And so you might think, oh, what's the big deal about going kind of that way, then that way, rather than that way, that way, that way? Um, doesn't sound like a big deal. But uh, imagine for a second that you're, you're in this church, it's, it's all very new, and your apostle's been away for three years, and then I told you he's coming and he doesn't rock up. Like, that's, that's disappointing, isn't it? And so verse 17, Paul asks, well... Um, when I said I was going to do that and I didn't do that, does that mean that I was lying? Does it mean that I was um, kind of fast and loose with my promises? Yes, yes, no, no, like changing my mind in a heartbeat, a kind of politician's promise. And he answers this charge in verse 18 in a way that might seem a little strange to us. Uh, he says, As surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, and Silas and Timothy was not yes and no, but in him it's always been yes. It's a bit of an odd question, uh, response to an issue about travel plans, isn't it? Um, I think what Paul's trying to do here is, again, shift, shift the issues, uh, help them kind of redefine what he's trying to do and actually move the focus away from 
uh, travel plans, not because he doesn't think that keeping his word is important, but he's trying to show them that something more important was at stake. I think what he's saying is something like, um, it might look like to you that my words don't mean very much, that I'm kind of willing to say one minute I care about you and the next minute just to palm you off, but I want you to think about all the words I've spoken to you previously and what they were like. And our words to you as apostles have been about God who's faithful and about Jesus who's been a yes for you. I think that's, that's a kind of paraphrase. So he goes on in verse 20 to 22. What, what does it mean that Jesus is a yes for them? He says, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And through, he, through, through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. And it's God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us and set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Now, we could spend a lot of time here. And um, if you're thinking about how does the Bible story work? Like, this is a really good verse to think about. Jesus is at the centre of the whole Bible story. If you're thinking about the Holy Spirit, these are great verses to come to as well that, that teach us about what it means that the Spirit anoints and sets a seal of ownership on us um, so that God does that by the Spirit. I think the key thing we just want to observe for today is that um, God, in doing all these things, in keeping His promise in Jesus, in giving the gift of the Spirit in making us stand firm in Christ, in enabling us to be a people who come together and say amen to his promises, that God's trustworthy in all of that. He's reliable. He's not changing. He's not a kind of yes, yes, no, no. God's a, a big yes. And God is so trustworthy that what he's said he's going to do, he's now done in Jesus and he will do in the future. Um, Jesus is God's big tick of approval. He's uh, God being for the Corinthians and for Paul and actually if we belong to Jesus for us as well. So with that in mind then Paul comes back to the change of itinerary in verse 23 and he says it wasn't just about a change of mind. What seems to have happened, we talked about this a little bit last week in a bit more detail but um, in between Paul writing 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, um, the Corinthians hadn't listened to his letter, it seems, and so uh, that, that kind of change of circumstance is what has driven this change of approach. They'd ignored his first letter, and so rather than coming to them and needing to discipline them, needing to confront them, needing to have a lot of hard words, Paul writes a letter, and we see that it was a letter that was designed um, to bring them to repentance. Uh, it was a letter that was aimed at their joy. Um, it was a letter that was designed that rather than visiting and enforcing the issue, it would give them time to repent, to remember that Jesus has been a big yes for them and to turn back to him so that when he visited in the end, uh, it would actually be a time of real celebration and thankfulness and gratitude, not a time of, of grief and hardship. You see the way that um, Paul's desire for them to have Jesus yes reshapes his travel plans. Um, it's not enough just to... to uh, to follow through on the travel plan, what, what matters most is them um, being firm in Christ. And so Paul's willing to be flexible in his travel plans, not because you know, he, he doesn't care about keeping his word, but for that, that purpose. Now, um, what about us? Uh, what about us? I think we've already said here that uh, this passage needs to shape our view of success and failure in ministry. I think in these verses, we, we get a sense of what does it mean to have good goals in ministry? Uh, what are, uh, as we think about our own ministry and others, 
what kind of ministry goals should we have in order to think about success and failure? I think the big thing we see is our goals need to line up with God's goals. Um, If we make goals that are just our own goals, um, they might succeed, they might not. Uh, But if we are in line with God's plans, there's a sense that we can be really confident that God will be faithful. So think about Paul. Um, What did success look like for him? What was his goal? Well, if his goal was meeting his travel itinerary, um, well, he would have actually failed as a minister of the gospel to the Corinthians. But Paul's goal was that he would be a yes for them in Jesus, as God has been a yes for them in Jesus. And so in that sense, I think actually he's been successful. He's acted with integrity. Um, He's acted with transparency. He's acted for their good in Christ. I wonder what goals you have for your own um, ministry, your own serving of others, um, or for those who serve you. And I think we need to ask the question in light of this, do we have the right kinds of goals? Because having the wrong goals, actually, as in the case of the Corinthians, um, leads to real disappointment. Um, I think it's a good time just to to reflect briefly on on the site redevelopment, uh, which we're still aiming under God to do. Uh, If the goal here is building a building then uh, what does success look like? Success is when the building is built. If the building is not built, then we'll be quite sad. Um, If the building is built, we'll be happy. That is success and failure, if that's the goal. But um, I think as a church, actually, uh, that's that's not quite our goal. Our goal is people's faith in Jesus. And that means that success could look like a different, few different things in terms of the building. If the building doesn't go ahead, but we still get to proclaim Christ, actually, that's God being faithful. Um, he, is, he is kind, and we've got the right goals there. If it does go ahead, we want to do it uh, for something that is kind of ministry-minded. We want to do it for reasons that help the proclamation of the gospel, things like funding church planning and so on. And um, what else does success look like during a, a building redevelopment, a site redevelopment? I think it means things like treating each other graciously through that process. It means um, trusting God with the plans. It means taking every opportunity to proclaim Christ before and during and after, um, making the most of every opportunity that that brings. Little little kind of case study, I think, uh, in how to get success right. And I think we need to take that same kind of thinking to uh, to all of the different plans that we have, and just ask well. What kinds of goals are the right goals? Uh, think about a conversation with a colleague. Um, if the goal is to, to make them happy and have a great relationship, well, sometimes that might not be possible. Uh, if the goal is they're good in Christ, then you might have times which are happy, you might have times which are sad. It's a different set of things that you're aiming for. Uh, what kind of goals should we have for our church, for uh, if we're parents, for our parenting, for youth group, for kids' ministry, for uh, catch-ups with our friends? Uh, for marriage, all of those kind of things. Um, the goal shapes the way that we approach it and how we process disappointment and failure. I think we learn from Paul here, success and failure need to come from God. They must be defined by what God is doing, what he's like, what he's doing in Christ. And what we try and do, I think, is kind of say a bit of an amen in the way that we relate to God and his people. We kind of echo God's faithfulness in the way that we're trying to treat people to the glory of God. Um, we're at point four, that Christ the King leads us captives, if you're following along. And I think one of, the, one of the questions we might have at this point is, well, okay, Paul, if God is always faithful, if God is always working to keep his promises in Christ, then how come things sometimes don't go to plan? Like you've said in this, in this case that it did kind of go to plan, but what about when things really don't go to plan? 
And this is where Paul goes in that final part of the passage. Now, I'm not really going to address chapter 2, verse 5 to 10. Um, It's a tricky section that needs more time. I think it's about repentance and forgiveness in church life. But picking up at verse 12, Paul says, instead of going to Corinth, he went to Macedonia. So he went up and round, and on the way he went to a town called Troas. And um, if you maybe grab open a a Bible map at some point later if you want to follow it along. Um, When Paul was in Troas, despite the change of plan, uh, God in his sovereignty opened a door for evangelism, we see. Now, the door opening image, uh, he's saying, I think, that there was more people hearing the gospel, there's lots of people responding to the gospel, ministry's going really well, Um, opportunities there. But see what Paul does, Um, despite the door being open, uh, Paul kind of walks past the door. He's so worried about the relationship with the Corinthians, and we might even say, he says later in the letter, he was anxious for the churches, he feels this burden of love for them, that he leaves the door, he leaves Troas, and he goes to Macedonia, not even to minister to the Macedonians necessarily, but to get news of how the Corinthians are going from Titus. And again, I'd say in this case, it's more clear that Paul has failed. Uh, Paul is not doing the things that he meant to be doing. Um, Paul, because of his own emotional state, the the situation with Corinth, is passing up good evangelistic opportunities. And yet listen to how he reflects on the situation in verse 14. He says, Thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of him everywhere. Now, um, I think that the image Paul's using here to reflect on his failure is an image of a conquering king. So imagine uh, kind of olden days warfare, there's a a king who's conquered in battle and he comes back through the town with this big procession and uh, in the procession there's soldiers and generals and so on uh, and the king's at the front uh, in triumph but at the back there's the prisoners of war led in chains through the city. It seems that that's what the Romans did and that's probably what Paul's reflecting on here and it's a picture of simultaneous triumph and defeat. Uh, The king is super triumphant. Uh, The prisoners, not so much. And the way that Paul applies it is to say that Christ is like the king at the head of the procession. Uh, He's he's the one who has risen from the dead. He reigns as the risen Lord. He will forever. He's, He's a king. He's triumphed. And yet, we, says Paul, are more like prisoners. We're more like the people at the back of the line. Now, uh, Don't push the metaphor too far, it's picking off on one aspect of their relationship. And in the following chapter, Paul will say that Christians are free, that we're not like prisoners. But I think what the image is getting at is that um, we belong as Christians to a king who is faithful. He's the yes to God's promises. He reigns now in heaven, whatever's going on. But we belong to him as people who are still living in a broken, sinful world... Uh, as people who are, actually, our lives are a bit more like those at the end of the line. Now, what that image says in terms of ministry failure and success is that Christian serving is going to be simultaneously defeated and victorious, simultaneously chained and free, simultaneously weak and strong. And the strong one, the victorious one, is always Jesus, and the weak one, well, that's, that's us. Um, we are weak 
fallen, fragile sinners, but we belong to a triumphant king. And because he's so triumphant, he's actually able to use people like us, um, with us and despite us, in his big ministry plans. And for Paul, that meant that even when he's passed up this good opportunity, he's able to be really grateful to God that God would involve him in those plans, um, that God remains the king, that God remains triumphant, even when Paul's not feeling particularly triumphant. Um, a little while ago, someone introduced me to the term gospel optimism. Uh, I like this. I'm not an optimist. Uh, I'm kind of more like a glass is mostly empty kind of person, uh, even when it is half full. Um, you can talk to Bernie about this. this uh, <laughs> we process things differently. Um, when things are not working, I tend to see, how is this, you know, it's all going terribly. How will anything ever be good again? Um, but people like me need to remember what Paul's saying here, that um, even when things are not going very well, God leads us always in triumphal procession, not just on the days I wake up on the right side of the bed, always, because Jesus is always the king. And uh, Jesus was the king when Paul left Troas. Jesus is the king when we're having those conversations that just don't seem to go anywhere. Um, Jesus is the king when church life is messy and hard. Um, Jesus is the king when, uh, we, when we stuff up, when we fail. As Colin Buchanan puts it, Jesus is the king when the dog eats your lunch and you step on the cat. Um, I like that. <laughs> now, none of that's to take away from our responsibility, which is to be faithful servants of Jesus. But it does mean that whatever's going on, we can be people who are optimistic and hopeful not because of ourselves, not because of what the situation is like, but because of who Jesus is. The king reigns, he will return, uh, and I think there's a cause there for optimism for even the deepest pessimist. Now, I um, just want to finish by being really concrete and just summing up all that we've seen uh, into a couple of steps of what should you actually do when you find yourself in a situation where you're feeling disappointed and frustrated in ministry. And uh, this is the kind of thing that if we were, um, you know, if we're running some kind of class, then you should have an acronym for. I don't have an acronym, so uh, your job is to come up with one. And it's just a way to help us tie things together. Um, five things to do when you're feeling disappointed in ministry. Well, the first one, um, to remember. Uh, remember, reflect on what God says in his word, that uh, God is faithful, that God is a yes for his people, he's for his people, he loves his people, that Christ reigns and triumphs, and Christ invites people who are weak and sinful to be part of his gospel mission, and, and that success actually looks like just joining in in what he's doing, um, responding to his grace, seeking to love and um, respond to Jesus by being faithful. Um, ask, what does success and failure look like in this situation in light of God's faithfulness in Christ? Have I got my view of success right? Um, is this what success ought to be? Uh, step three, ask, what's my role in this situation? Am I trying to function like Jesus and control everything? Uh, am I neglecting my responsibilities and not actually doing the kind of things that I should be as an ambassador of Jesus? Um, step four, ask, how is it comforting that Christ is the king? Just um, what does it mean that because he reigns, uh, that this situation will actually be okay in his purposes? And step five, uh, pray with thankfulness to God uh, that he leads us in this way, uh, as those who are at the end of the line, but looking forward to sharing in what our King has to offer. 
I'm going to pray now uh, to wrap up our time together. So will you pray with me? Our Father God, we want to thank you so much uh, that Jesus reigns, that in the ups and downs of life, he is on the throne, that nothing can take him off that place because he has conquered death. And Father, we look forward to the time when we will share in his reign as fellow heirs, um, as fellow children. Father, life now can be pretty hard, and even the good things of ministry can sometimes be disappointing, and we ask that you might comfort us, help us to see our successes and failures in light of what you're doing, and Father, please help us to trust you and to keep on plodding on in being faithful servants of the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen.